Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. not wanting his displeasure so we're coming to a close tonight Psalm 60 has been our springboard I wish to go there again but if you'll remain standing uh, after that verse I'll go on and hit a few more verses from which we're going to come from this evening Psalm 60 and verse 1 the Bible says O God David saying thou hast cast us off thou hast scattered us thou hast been displeased O turn thyself to us again Starting with item number six tonight, we'll derive that from Zechariah. Zechariah chapter number one. Zechariah chapter number one. And I want to read just a a few verses of scripture there from Zechariah chapter number one. Zechariah is the second, the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah one, verse number two. The Bible says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. This is part three of the displeasure of the Lord. If you'll help me pray right now, God, we come to you tonight. Lord, again, we are turning our attention, Lord, to these things, God, that are displeasing to you, God, with the hope, God, that from that we would know, Lord, then how to abstain from them and how to sidestep them and, Lord, keep them from being a part of our life, how we can find favor then in your eyes because I need your favor upon my life I need Lord Jesus your blessing upon my life I need that Lord Jesus every day I pray oh Lord help us today God by studying what not to do God perhaps we'll understand what we should do in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen, amen. you may be seated tonight the displeasure the displeasure of the Lord part part number three part number three item number six this is item number six the things that displease God the scripture uh, specifically says displeases the Lord he said that the Lord had been displeased even sore displeased kind of raised the level of displeasure if you will sores displeased with your fathers and through verses three and four he went on to uh, explain why he was sore displeased and it basically in a nutshell is this and this is item number six the Lord is displeased with disobedience the Lord is displeased with disobedience or might I even say uh, simply with people being unmoved unimpacted unaffected disobedience understand a little bit of the context of Zechariah that we are speaking of here this evening Zechariah is addressing a group of people, a remnant, if you will, of about approximately 50,000 Jews who have made a commitment to return back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity. We seem to have a theme here going on with Babylon here. From Babylonian captivity, if you was here on Sunday, you understand what I'm talking about. And so whenever they came back home, they had had a commission, if you will, even from Cyrus the king, that when they returned home, they were to return to be, begin reconstruction of the temple that laid in ruins, the temple that was there just totally devastated. And we read of that in Ezra. Ezra gives us the account of the rebuilding of the temple of these captives who have come back home. But as it would be, uh, as they began to build opposition, Uh, arose and they had some people that were speaking against what they were doing trying to frustrate what they were doing the rebuilding of the temple and as a result of the opposition almost by force it was that they were made to stop building the temple and so it, 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 it lied there just a little bit done 
a little bit of work had gone through to, into it. And for 16 years, approximately, that work had been set aside. Their purpose for coming home, their purpose of getting out of captivity and coming back was to rebuild that. They did just a little bit, but then there's opposition. And for 16 years, it laid there with nothing taking place. And during that amount of time of 16 years, these people who should have been involved in building the work, they got up and uh, caught up, we might even say, in what we just call life. You ever just get caught up in the busyness of life? And they just kind of got caught up, Bishop, in the busyness of life. And I don't know if they had, I don't believe they had some type of intentional purpose or perhaps it wasn't an intentional decision of theirs, amen, to get captured or just caught up in life and for 16 years of time to elapse, but it did. And it would seem a common tactic of the enemy if at best he could just get God's people diverted from what they should be doing and just lull them, if you will, asleep, amen, and somehow get them disengaged. I don't necessarily mean that they had just, men. they set out that for the next 16 years, we're going to do some harm. For the next 16 years, we're just going to grow lackadaisical and complacent. I don't necessarily think that they entered into those 16 years with that type of mind frame, but that's what happened. That's what took place. And the Bible says that the Lord would stir up a prophet by the name of Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah ministered very similar, one right after another during this same time frame. Stirred up the heart of Haggai to ask these people, a question in Haggai 1 and 4. And the question was this. It was, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house, speaking of the temple, lie waste? In other words, you have built up your life and you have built up your dwellings and you've been very attentive to the things that concern you. But is it time for you to dwell in those things that you've made for yourself and leave the things of God on the back burner? Is it time for you to self-indulge yourself and not pay attention to the purpose why you were ever delivered out of captivity to come back home to see to the things that be of God? He told them at least two times in that scripture of Haggai. He spoke those words. He said, consider your ways just being a voice of reflection for the people consider your way i mean when's the last time you just sat down and begin to think for 16 years we've been self-indulged and has left our true purpose unimpacted unaffected consider your ways matter of fact i think the the words of the prophet haggai haggai is, is a good words to consider every once in a while in our own life just every once in a while just sit down and consider our ways Consider our walk. Consider our actions or our inactions. So uh, they were working diligently. The Bible said they were planting fields. They were bringing in money, but it was as though they was putting that money in bags that had holes in it. They, they were working very diligently. They were, they were very busy. Uh, they came back to their homeland, and yeah, there's a lot of busy work going on. But God was telling them, you still need to be obedient. You still need to be obedient. And he was trying to relate to them that your activity and just your busy work doesn't necessarily denote obedience. I mean, we can even cut close enough and get a little closer tonight and just say our activity and our busyness concerning church work doesn't necessarily denote obedience. Amen. Amen. They've attended to a lot of things, the scripture says in Haggai. A lot of self-serving things, but they had abandoned the things of God. I could even say that we can be attentive to God's house and still abandon the things of God. They were around the temple. They're back at Jerusalem. They're around the temple. No doubt they see it there. They're around the temple, but they didn't do anything to benefit the temple. They were there, but they didn't do anything to benefit the temple. And to top it all off, here is the real clincher of it all. To top it all off, them not doing anything to benefit the temple didn't seem to or impact on their life. It was as though they were callous to the fact that they weren't doing anything to benefit the temple, but it didn't bother them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they weren't going on and fulfilling the purpose that God wanted them to fulfill. But it wasn't bothering their conscience. All 
it didn't affect them. They could still do whatever they did and be disobedient to the voice of the Lord and it didn't matter to them. Oh, folks, let me tell you, it's a very scary thing to start practicing a life of disobedience because in doing so, there could be a place or a juncture in the road that it doesn't bother you anymore that you are disobedient. It, 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 amen. And so this is, what, this is what Haggai was addressing. And so he did, and it seemed to light a little bit of a fire under the people. You know, we have those fires, too, that get lit under us. Oh, yeah, we're ready to go now. And sometimes there's not enough wood there to sustain the fire. And so they said they're ready to go. They're ready to respond. And the Bible says that they begin to work on the temple again. 16 years removed now. They begin to work on the temple again. And two months, look now, two months into the project, Zechariah 1 and 1 tells us, in the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord and the Zechariah. This is just two months back into the building project. Amen. That Zechariah comes with a word from the Lord. That's very significant. Very significant date. Because when they first started to rebuild the temple opposition came and because of the opposition they were seemingly forced to stop what they were doing what God wanted them to do now they started again to do what God wanted them to do and look what happens coincidence I think not opposition comes again according to Ezra so every time they were trying to be obedient opposition would always arise when they first tried to build, boom, it was there. 16 years later, they tried to be obedient, boom. Opposition is there again. So two months into this building project, opposition is coming, but it doesn't come also without God arousing in the heart of another prophet by the name of Zechariah to come in and give these people a word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord was this to this generation. God was sore displeased with your fathers. Why, Zechariah, was God sore displeased with our fathers? Because your fathers got trapped in a cycle. Your fathers got trapped in a cycle of being disobedient and then being rebuked and them repenting and then them obeying and then them being disobedient and he says what's happening right here is that you're following into the same cycle amen you're becoming disobedient there has to come rebuke and repenting in order for you to obey and God was sore displeased with that someone say amen if I could say like this Zechariah's message to these people was this Learn from your history. If there's something that he's voicing, God was sore displeased with your father. And if you follow in those footsteps, he's going to be displeased with you. So learn from your history. Don't allow their sin and don't allow their error to become your sin and your error. If he was, dis oh, if he was displeased with their disobedience, he's going to be displeased with your disobedience. Doesn't matter. And by the way, God wants a temple built. That's the reason why you were sent home. He asked you to rebuild a temple. <laughs> That's what God wants. So don't stop because of the opposition, the voices of opposition that's coming against you. Because their voice does not trump the voice of God. The opinion of another, if it be different from God doesn't mean for you to disobey God and, uh, and obey it. Stay true to the voice of the Lord. Don't let anybody outside, amen, any outside opposition deter you. Obey the voice of God. For that matter, <laughs> don't let the things of God become unimportant to you. You're advancing your house and your home, your personal agenda and itineraries, but in doing so, don't allow the things of God to become unimportant to you. Don't allow godly things to become your pastime rather than your lifeline. Because they got to that place 
it didn't impact them that they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. Folks, I say again clearly tonight, that is a very dangerous place to get in to do things that you know are not pleasing to God or obedient to God, yet it doesn't impact your mind, your conscience, your life. That displeases God. Because they could have fell very easily into the trap concerning the temple that lied there in ruins for 16 more years. Could have fell in the trap or the cliche of saying, well, it's just the way things are. Because I've heard terminology like that in my generation, in my society. Well, it's just the way things are. You know what that means? It means you can't do anything against it. You can't do anything for it. My involvement in, or, in it or not, it's not going to change it. The it doesn't matter arises from the idea, well, it's just the way things are. But God called you people to build the temple. You have a mandate from heaven. And he's going to see it through. It does matter whether or not you are a part of it. He wanted you to be involved in it. He doesn't want you to become just indifferent and callous to the idea that my part doesn't matter. Amen. So here they are. They're in this, this mindset. A type of mentality is just the way things are wasn't impacted by being disobedient to the Lord. There's another time in Scripture, Jeremiah, all these prophets, prophets signal warning. Oftentimes they're signaling, trying to get people to repent back to a place where they should be with God. Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah 6 and 15. This verse has just always wowed me in such a way. Speaking to them of that day, he said, were they ashamed? He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Question. The answer, nay. They were not at all, not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Just hold that up there, if you will, for a moment. I told you tonight already. And this is the case of Jeremiah 6 and 15. That a constant lifestyle of disobedience will deceive you into believing that such a lifestyle is acceptable. It's normal. It's average. It's the way things are. There wasn't anything wrong with it. He said, did it bother them when they did abomination? No. Why? Because they had done that so long, it had become the new norm for them. They had done that for so long, they had become insensitive that it was wrong. <laughs> Amen. So, nay, it, it didn't bother them. It, they were not ashamed at all. They were not ashamed that they committed these things. They didn't even consider those things abominable anymore. They didn't consider those things wrong anymore. Cut Sam, I'm displeased with disobedience. Because disobedience leads to a callousness of conscience in life that we'll call wrong right and right wrong. Amen. And look at the scripture. Notice this plainly now. The Bible does not say neither, neither did they blush. It says neither could. Neither could they blush. They had lost the ability to blush. Why does that redness come upon your face and you blush? Because you're embarrassed about something that's happened. God said these people that we are dealing with, it's not neither did they blush like they withheld it, but they had lost the ability to be embarrassed over not doing what they should be doing. Folks, God's displeased with that. 
so callous, so impervious, if you will, to see me tell you folks, it will creep in into your life, into your homes. The media has it in such a way, they push it in front of you, that that thing which is sin, that thing which is of abomination to God, they'll try to lighten it with comedy and lighten it with laughter. What are they doing? Trying to desensitize you where you won't blush anymore. Mm, somebody hear me right now. Yes. Yes. They want to take away our ability to blush, to be embarrassed by something that's contrary to this book. They'll pass it off as humor. Everybody looks a good laugh. But whenever you laugh, what do you do? You remove the importance of the seriousness of a matter. Huh. All you got to do is get around somebody that want to say something to, I love isn't it great they try to cover things up with you know laughter and with oh I'm just joking they say something it seems to be halfway serious but they give it laughter and joking to take away the edge but there is still yet a poignant truth in that that they're just trying to cover up with the laughter the devil in society doesn't know different there are some absolute sins, amen, that's in our world today and they want the church, amen, just to somehow laugh it off to a place that it's no big deal. It's just the way they are. That may be the case, but it does not have to be the way that we are. Amen. God is displeased with disobedience. He wants us still to be embarrassed about some things. He wants us to still duck our head in shame when certain things take place in our governmental offices and when, mm -hmm, in our jobs and in our homes and our families. Still wants us to feel the shame that's a, accompanied with something that's totally diabolical to his nature. Yes, we need not to lose the ability to blush. He goes on and says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, let's say if the Lord, he's telling these people that have lost this ability that's not affected by the abominations they've committed. He said unto them, he said, stand ye in the ways. Here's the commandment, here's the word. See and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. But the sad ending is, but they said, we will not walk therein. The old path, the good way. Look at the benefit of this even. It will bring rest for your souls. He said, nope. We've got a taste of something. It's in our mouth. We will not walk therein. In verse 17, he said, also. He said, if you won't hear the prophet, prophet he said, I've set a watchman. I've set a watchman over you. That's your pastor. Pardon me, I just happen to be the guy talking right now. But he said, I've set a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Folks, they're not beating around the bush. They're not giving you a maybe or maybe a questionable answer. Well, we might. They're out. I mean, they're defiant. We will not do this. We will not do that. How did they get to that place? Because somewhere along the line, they started a practice of disobeying God. And let me tell you, if somebody's going to disobey God, they won't listen to the prophet. And if somebody's going to disobey God, they for sure ain't going to listen to the pastor. Oh, yeah. Amen. And those things displeases the Lord. So the general consensus of this hour is that I'm not going, amen, where you want me to go. And I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I don't need anybody telling me any different. <laughs> Listen, it's not whenever he said there's a watchman over you, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. It's not that they didn't hear the trumpet, but they didn't hearken to the trumpet. They heard the trumpet, but they had decided that they were not going to act in accordance with what the sound of the trumpet was signaling. See, trumpets were signaled from the watchman for different reasons. He might give a certain sound that meant that they were come for a general assembly. But there could be other sounds that change in the distinction of the sounding of the trumpet. Other times that was 
Call on the people to order themselves and prepare themselves to defend themselves, if you will, from the attack of an enemy. And listen, the responsibility of the watchman was not to give the trumpet an uncertain sound. He was supposed to sound the sound for a general assembly clearly. He was to sound the sound for the people might defend themselves from an attack clearly. So he was not to give the trumpet an uncertain sound. But it was the responsibility of the hearer to know the difference between those sounds and react accordingly. Someone say amen. So if he sounded the sound that they needed to defend against attack of the enemy, they heard it, but they didn't hearken to it. They were doing nothing but disobeying, amen, and acting in accordance with the sound that they heard. They knew they were taught from a child up what that sound meant. And that displeased God. Because ministry comes to a pulpit and call it a soapbox or whatever you will, and sometimes they sound the trumpet. And there's a distinction in it. And it's for a purpose for people in their lives. You know what some people say? They don't say it with their voice, maybe not even with their disposition, but with their actions. I will not hearken. I will not hearken. What are you saying? I'm not going to do that, preacher. I'm not going to do that, preacher. I'm not going to do that, pastor. I know you said the word said that, but sorry, that's just not me. And they'll go on with the laughter that the world is teaching that's just bringing in something under the rug that's totally against God's word. And they're laughing all along. And they're embracing it. They're eating it. They're ingesting it. And they're disobeying God. And you know what? God's displeased with that. And the saddest part of it all, they're not impacted, but that displeases God. Big deal. Big deal. Ezekiel 33. I'm not, I'm not meaning to be real strong here tonight. I'm just sharing God's word. But here is the idea in Ezekiel's day of the preacher and the prophet and the voice that was trying to bring, if you will, some understanding to their time and where they were. Here's how they viewed them. This is very disheartening to me. Ezekiel 33 and verse 30. The Bible says, Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. That's sarcasm, folks. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they shew much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. What? Their own desires. And look at verse 32. This is the way that they perceive that truth that's being spoken from that man. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song. Oh, preach us another sermon, preacher. Because it doesn't impact her life. It doesn't cause conviction to come in their heart. Why? Because they've been consistently disobedient and it doesn't even impact them anymore. Go on, preacher. Amen. You're a lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. You can play well on the instrument for they hear thy words, but they will not do them. They do them not. And when this cometh to pass, and in parentheses the statement is, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. In other words, that man standing up there telling them, giving them warning, giving them decree, giving them truth, they're saying we're not going to do that. But what that man's saying is going to come to pass in their generation and in their life. And when it does, they're going to look back and say that was more than a pleasant song. That was more than just a good tune. That was the word of God for my life. And I didn't heed it. I didn't hearken to it. I willfully disobeyed it. God's displeased with that. God's displeased with it. 
saints. And we walk away from church. I believe this with all my heart. That when we as saints walk away from the church. The spirit of conviction should be on our hearts. Just as much on the sinner's heart. And if we ever get to a mode that the saints of God walk away with no conviction, then we're out of our minds if we think sinners going to walk out of here with any conviction. Zechariah, Zechariah's audience had returned to the land. Captives come back home. They returned to the land. They had started rebuilding the temple. He didn't want this generation to return just to the land, hear me, and just rebuild the temple without look very closely, without returning to God. Can I say it like this? He didn't want them to come to church without coming to God. The word, if you can put it back up for me, Zechariah 1.3, part of our scripture setting. So it'll be toward the beginning, probably number one. I'm going to trip over a monitor and break my neck. Zechariah 1.3. Be right at the beginning. It's part of my original scripture setting. Therefore say thou unto them, is Zechariah speaking to these people? Let's say it the Lord of hosts. Look what he said. Well, turn ye to the house of God. Turn, return ye to the land. Priority first and foremost, turn ye to me. He didn't want people going to the temple and not come to him. Why? Because it happens. People go to church and never get to God. People return, you might even say, to church and never return to God. They return to the atmosphere the familiar atmosphere and the feeling of the goodness of the atmosphere but they never returned to God and he said people what you need more than returning even to rebuilding the temple and to the land is you need to get back to God get back to God turn ye unto me and I will turn unto you I will turn unto you Adam Clark said it like this and I like how he said it so I had to just verbatim write it down he said men are lost because they turn not into God. But no man is lost. Because he had not power to return. In other words, he's not saying it's a lack of power or ability to turn. But it's a lack of choice. It's a lack of decision. To turn to God. See, God's saying return Return to God. I don't return necessarily to my laws and my He didn't specifically say laws and statutes. Why? Because God is understands. He's not ignorant. If I can get my people returned to me, they'll return to my laws. If I can get my people returned to me, they'll return to my statutes. If I can get my people returned to the church or to me, they'll return to the temple. Amen. He said, but they can do all these peripheral things and never get to me. Keep laws, commandments, statutes temple never get to me but if they get to me it's inevitable if they truly get back to me all these other things gonna just come right in right in line going on item number seven this is my last item and I got 14 minutes to do it we can do it mark 10 verse 13 Mark 10, verse number 13, verse number 14. New Testament scripture, the Bible says. What happened there? I got something on me. There it is. First, I thought maybe my contact would come out. <laughs> That'd been great. And they brought, bless God, we went and heard that one-eyed preacher tonight. <laughs> That'd be a new talking town, wouldn't it? Mark 10, verse 13. See, he's kind of getting fresh. He's winking with people out in the audience. That's all we need. Mark 10, verse 13. And they brought, 
young children to him that he should touch them and his disciples rebuked those that brought them that's important because I just kind of caught that in my studying and long displeasure stuff I always you know I've always heard people say well it seemed like they were rebuking the children you know but it wasn't rebuking the children they were rebuking the people that were bringing the children now, you'd make the assumption it was their parents or some relatives. I don't know. Scripture's silent on the matter. It's just an assumption that it may have been there. But regardless, and they brought young children, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. In verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. The Lord was much displeased. Number seven. The Lord is displeased when people serve as an obstacle or get in the way of those who are trying to reach the Lord. In Exodus 21, if you'll turn there or look at the screen. In Exodus 21 and verse 22, the Bible in this setting of Scripture has given us some literal laws of the Old Testament however over the course of my journey I always I throw scriptures and thoughts and stuff down all over the place these things had been in my file for some time but were applicable for this purpose tonight these were literal laws in the Old Testament yet I believe that we could uh, with, with, with proper interpretation spiritualize them for tonight's instance okay in Exodus 21 and verse 22, the Bible says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Again, this was a literal law. Old Testament law in that day but I desire to spiritualize it for a moment if you will because whether in my opinion whether this is taken in a literal sense or in a spiritual sense Sister Craig man this is a heavy verse to bear this is a heavy verse to bear and it should be a word of warning I believe in both, both instances whether it was literal or spiritual literally here this evening literally a woman is losing, leave it up there for me, guys. A woman is losing the child that she's pregnant with. She's losing the child she is pregnant with as a result of the strife of men. Now, we don't know how far along she is with this child. Scripture doesn't tell us. It doesn't give that regulation. She may have been a few weeks. She may have been several months. We don't know. But if I could spiritualize this literal law tonight in the view of this, that in this picture, in this moment, the woman being the picture of the church with a person on the verge of being born again. However, due to strife, due to contention that exists, perhaps even in the church, this person, that's on the verge of being born again, disengages before they're ever born again. And God's displeased with that. Whenever someone serves as an obstacle to someone reaching the Lord. Furthermore, tonight, folks, in this instance, the man or the men, look at this, this is heavy to me, will be punished per the woman's husband. Per the woman's husband. In other words, whatever punishment the woman's husband wants to lay on these men, thus and so it shall be. For our spiritualized aspect tonight, let me just say it like this. I don't want the responsibility, first of all, of the church losing a potential new convert. Largely, not just because of losing them, but largely of the fact then, if my punishment is going to come from the church's husband. From God. 
Because I know if God is displeased with people disrupting the process of people reaching him or coming to him or even deterring people from him, he's probably not going to be too light concerning the punishment for that type of activity. If that's something I already know God's displeased with, then he's probably going to suit the punishment to the crime. Amen. Even furthermore, God in his word, I just read this this morning, God knows when to just throw in my scripture reading. God was so adamant about people keeping others from reaching him or even from swaying those who already knew him and been acquainted with him from him that the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 13 that whoever does such should be killed. I understand this is Old Testament. Amen. But look at the scripture. In Deuteronomy 13 and 5, he's speaking to prophets or people who dream dreams that do this. He said, and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. These are people, this is what these people were saying. They were saying, let's leave this God and go to this God. Let's leave what you're familiar with and let's go this way and let's serve this. This is, this is their voice. They were keeping something, serving as an obstacle in someone's relationship with God. And, and whenever that happened, he said, he said, shall, these shall be put to death because he has spoken, who? The prophet, the dreamer of dreams, has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. And that's displeasing unto the Lord the Lord your God for that matter which brought you out of the land of Egypt redeemed you out of the house of bondage thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee in other words these people that are trying to do this man that displeases God he says they should be dead because they're trying to sway you amen have you turned away from a relationship with God but watch it now in this same chapter of Deuteronomy 13 he even cuts a little closer can it happen yeah he cuts a little closer. Amen. Closer to the lives that may really have influence in your life. People that might have real influence in your life to cause you to depart from God. He cuts a little closer because he spoke against the prophet. All right, he spoke against the dreamer dreams. Okay, that may be so. Amen. And he cautioned them a little further though how it could be someone of your own family. In verse number 6 of Deuteronomy, I don't have it before you, but in Deuteronomy 13 and 6, the list goes like this. He says, if it's your brother, if it's your son, if it's your daughter, if it's your wife, or even if it's your friend that's trying to entice you or be an obstacle to you concerning this relationship of reaching me and being with me, they should be killed. Because verse 9 of Deuteronomy 13 says this then, but thou shalt surely kill him. These family people that are close to you might have power of influence in your life because if they're serving as an obstacle to your relationship with God, God's displeased with that. Regardless who they are, God's displeased with that. He said, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall beat first upon him to put him to death and afterwards the hand of all the people. Verse 10, and thou shalt stone him with stones that he died because he has sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God. God's serious about this thing of being an obstacle to people from reaching God or being in relationship with God. He's displeased when people try to create a wedge between God and other people. So he's displeased when they're trying to keep them from reaching him. He's displeased whenever they're deterring people from him. Let me go a step further though. He is also upset when people are instrumental in causing some to have some lost time with God. This is again an Old Testament literal law that I wish to spiritualize tonight of Exodus 21 verses 18 through 19 and I won't hold you much longer. And if men strive together and one smite another with a stone or with his fist and he die not but keepeth his bed 
if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. In other words, if this guy doesn't die and, and he isn't laid handicapped to a bed the rest of his days and he's able to get up from this, then the man who smote him don't have to worry about being responsible for his death or be responsible for a permanent injury. But listen, only he, the man who smote him, shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. Again, if I may take a literal law and spiritualize it for us tonight, I think there's some things we can glean from this. If two men strove then together and one of them got injured from the strife, the one who did the smiting was responsible, if that man didn't die or was permanently injured, he was responsible for that man's lost time. Because all that man might not be permanently injured, he could be temporarily injured, meaning that he couldn't do what he would normally do if he wasn't injured. And so whatever time it took him to heal, the things that he would have done if he was whole. Someone hear me right now the planting, the harvesting, whatever it was he would have done if he had not ever been injured. The man who smote him had to pay for the lost time. Had to pay for the lost time. Furthermore, it was that man's responsibility to do whatever was necessary to cause that man who was smitten to be thoroughly healed. At times we may not kill people with our words or our actions. But I would dare to say there have been times that we have maliciously injured them. And in doing so, it's caused a temporary injury upon their life that there has been some lost time. That they abstained from doing some things they would have done had that never been spoken or that never been done. Or that never been said. And if I can spiritualize a literal law tonight, I would say to us this evening, we're responsible for their lost time. We are responsible for their lost time. I've seen people sometimes so hurt by a church or in a church. And I know, I know you just can't hang your hat on everything, you know. I understand people have choices and such, but I have seen people deeply impacted enough that they fell out with God. There's been time away from church, time away from God. Literally, direct lines drawn there, folks, that an injury has been so grand that that has taken place. Let me tell you, we're responsible for that last time if we're the culprit. Because what would that so have done had that incident never taken place, what have they done for the kingdom? What kind of harvest would they have reaped in the church? God says, we're responsible for the loss, the lost time, the lost time. And secondly, it's our responsibility to do everything in our means to see that they're thoroughly healed. Thoroughly restored thoroughly healed if you'll stand with me tonight these are some things that God is displeased with very quickly I summarized the past three weeks of the things that the Lord is displeased with and then we'll pray and brother Mason you can go on and come the Lord was displeased here they are the seven things the Lord was displeased with a man who wanted to limit his service when his service was going to exceed self and extend to someone else the Lord was displeased when people on the fringe of the camp complained. The Lord was displeased when a man pulled another into his sin or his error. The Lord was displeased when a man's actions are being motivated by pride. The Lord was displeased when truth is not upheld and consequently there is no judgment. And tonight the Lord is displeased with disobedience. People simply unmoved. Number seven, when people serve as an obstacle or get in the way of those who are trying to reach the Lord. These past three weeks have just been a zeroed-in focus on some of the things that Scripture blatantly and specifically says that displeases God. And with that knowledge, 
then it is my responsibility to all the power that lies within me to somehow abstain, abstain from those things. Sure, there's other things that could be added to the list, but these are the specific things where Scripture blatantly comes out and says, the Lord is displeased with that. If anything, I think that is a good point of origin to start from to then try to live in the favor and the pleasure of the Lord by abstaining from these things. So my heart's cry again this evening is, Lord, help me in these matters. God, I don't want to be the cause for anyone to lose time. I don't want to be the cause, Lord Jesus, of God, someone that's on the verge of being a new convert, Lord, to fall out and the fruit to be lost. I don't want to be the cause of that. I don't want to be the cause and the hindrance, Lord, of the obstacle keeping people that need you from reaching you. I don't want to be that, God. I desire not to be that, oh Lord. I don't want to be these things, Jesus. God, and I don't want to be the person that comes to church, but I don't ever come to God. I don't want to be the person that gets in a life of complacency with the Lord that I think it's okay that I have attendance and I have some of the ritualistic functions of doing church, but I never get to God. And by all means, Lord, let that affect my conscience. Let that impact my soul. Let that impact my spirit. And let me not just lackadaisically accept the things that are absolutely against your word and against your nature by receiving it through the venue of laughter through the venue of comedy that it's not that big of a deal because this preacher is being a watchman on the wall tonight telling you it is that big of a deal and God's displeased with it God's displeased with it can we pray together right now as they prepare a song these altars thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.